0: Welcome to Let's Talk Learning Disabilities with Lori Peterson and Abby Weinstein. Lori and Abby spend their days talking about dyslexia, dysgraphia, dyscalculia, and ADHD. They talk to parents of struggling students and adults who have had a lifetime of academic challenges. They want to share those stories along with their own insights with you. So, Let's Talk Learning Disabilities.
1: This is Lori. And this is Abby. Welcome to episode number 71 of Let's Talk Learning Disabilities. How are you today, Abby? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. I'm kind of excited about today. I know we've talked Mm -hmm, a lot about Section 504 in the past, but today we have an official 504 coordinator with us, and I'm super excited because this is like information from the source. Exactly. Right?
2: Straight Straight from from the horse's mouth. Exactly.
1: Exactly. So today we have Suzette with us. Hi, Suzette. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is. <laughs> Hello. Thank you for being with us today. I'm glad to be here. Suzette is a you're a 504 coordinator for in a pretty one of the bigger districts in the state of te- Texas. Correct. I am. Awesome. Okay. So I think we'll just start. Just give us a little bit of your background about kind of how
3: you landed in the role as a 504 coordinator. All right. Well, I started in the classroom as a classroom teacher. Um, I did that for a number of years and um, was offered an opportunity uh, to become a math specialist. And so I did that for a couple of years and I loved it. And I was working with kids all day long and it was fantastic. And then uh, due to budget funding cuts, um, my position was cut and I was offered any classroom on the campus Um, to go back into the classroom as a classroom teacher. And I wasn't um, just the stage I was at with my children and my job and just life in general. I decided that that wasn't really the direction I wanted to continue heading. And so um, I had a fantastic principal that offered me an intervention position. So I did that for a couple of years. And that wasn't I also didn't love what I was doing um, in that position. Exactly. What's an intervention position? An intervention is offering special extra help to kids that may need it. And I was specifically a math interventionist. Um, So I worked with small groups of um, kids that were struggling in math. And so I did that, but it was a part-time position. Again, I wasn't making the connections that I needed to or wanted to. And um, so my principal, I think he was uh, wise to that and said, you know what, let's try something else. I think you'd be good as our 504 coordinator. And I was like, what? What does that even mean? I mean, I understood what 504 was, but I didn't understand the full um, job duties. So um, I apprenticed, if you will, with a I worked side by side with the current 504 coordinator and um, learned the job and she moved into a different role and I continued on with 504 And so I just finished my seventh year as a 504 coordinator for my
2: campus. Wow. Good for you. I love it.
3: um, I'm passionate about making sure that students are getting what they need. So I do. I love it.
2: Good. Well, so Lori and I, of course, um, before we were in private practice, we both worked in public education as diagnosticians and teachers. So we're very familiar with 504 as well. Um, But for our listeners, I would love for you, Suzette, to explain kind of in simple terms, what exactly is Section five hundred four or five hundred four. I think a lot of parents are still somewhat confused by the different support services schools to offer, um, yes. and I think five hundred four services are probably one of the most common services that kids um, can get through through sure. public schools. But just you know, for our listeners again, explain in your terms what is five hundred four.
3: All right. Well, I um, when I'm trying to talk to my parents, I start from the very beginning. And 504 is actually a um, it's an a, a, it's from the Rehabilitation Act of 1973 from a long time ago. It was put in place as an anti-discrimination civil rights statute that covers individuals with disabilities. So what was happening back in the 70s was war and people were coming home from the war and they were disabled, and they were being discriminated against because of their disabilities. So as we moved through that process back in the 70s for, you know, those people, now we apply it to education in a different way. And it's um, as it applies to education, we we write a document that um, supports the needs of these eligible students, we identify the disability, and we put reasonable accommodations in place based on these students, the students that you and I deal with, um, based on their individual needs. So it's not a one-size-fits-all type deal. Um, and we put accommodations that, when, when I say reasonable, they're, um, they're meant to level the playing field. We want to provide equal access to the curriculum as it applies to education, Um, and assessments, but not place undue burden on the school or fundamentally alter the learning or assessments. So again, we're meant to level the playing field and not um, go above and beyond. You know, we're just, we're trying to get the equal access for Mm -hmm. the students that have a, a identified disability.
1: Well, I was, gonna, I was just going to ask when you talk about the kids, when you, you know, you identify the disability, what does that look like as far as, you know, how you identify it? And then what kinds of um, disabilities will allow you access or is it any disability?
3: So the identification process happens during the um, evaluation portion. And when I say evaluation, we're not doing, the 504 coordinators are not doing an evaluation like for example, you would do an educational diagnostician does something totally different. That's an evaluation, but we're taking as many data pieces as we possibly can get. So I, my job as a coordinator, I take all these pieces. So I'm going to ask the parents for as much information as possible regarding their child. I want to know um, how they act at home, how they feel about school. And so we give them a survey. We ask lots of questions. Um, I'm going to ask information, ask for information from a teacher. Um, As many teachers that will give me the information, um, I look at discipline records and attendance records and grades, and we take all of this information and we put it in a folder and we evaluate it. And so when I say we evaluate, we as a committee. So 504 is a committee-based decision. We all decide if a student is eligible based on their disability.
2: And who is the we? Just when you so, say we, I think uh-huh. it's a good thing. So we
3: is out. the oh, committee. A well, committee consists of t- at least two. So a committee cannot be one. I, I cannot mean. be the five hundred four coordinator and go. I am the exclusive one. I'm making all the decisions. We have to involve people who are familiar with their student. So absolutely, the parents need to be in that meeting. And and sometimes we can't get the parents. But I would hope that your your parents would. Um, be willing and able and, and wanting that um, to go through. So, at least two people that are knowledgeable about 504, uh, not 504, people who are knowledgeable about the student come together, we convene a committee, and we make the decisions based on the data that was put um, together prior to the um, committee meeting. And
1: so, does the student need to have come to you with a diagnosed disability or can you look at a student and their records and the information from home and from school and see that there is a struggle and there is a need for some level of support that needs to be formally written up? Because we've had, I've, I've been interested that we've actually had lots of students come through that don't have a diagnosed disability, but because of because they do maybe struggle to focus in class or a history of struggles in math that they've been placed under a five hundred four.
3: When we're looking at the eligibility of a um, trying to find the eligibility, or, or trying to make a student eligible for 504, we have to answer three questions. So yes, when you're talking about students that don't have an official diagnosis, um, we—it is our role as a 504 coordinator. There's a there's a thing called Child Find. Child Find um, requires districts to identify and locate every student that may have um, a, a disability. Uh, so if we suspect a disability, for example, like you were talking about, if we notice that a student, you know, their behaviors changed in the classroom or the parents are coming to us and saying, um, my, my child does not want to come to school and the teacher is noticing that they're not participating when they previously had been, then it's our role to look at that student, gather all that data, and we can say, yes, we are answering these three questions that um, you uh Enables eligibility or allows them to be eligible for 504 services, and those three questions are: uh, Does the student exhibit a physical or mental impairment? And so at, we, as a committee, sit at the table and we say, "Well, do they?" And they say, "We say yes." Well, what is uh, what is the impairment? And so we may suspect ADHD. We may suspect dyslexia. We may suspect these
2: things. So the very first question is determining if they exhibit a physical or mental disability. Yes. And that could be based on all the input that you guys sitting around the table have from school data, informal data, parent data, school nurse, anything else teachers have shared. Or it could also be, I mean, a parent could bring in some outside evaluations or testing as well, correct?
3: Yes. Does the student have a physical or mental impairment that it could include a report from, for example, Diagnostic Learning Services? And then the second question is, does the student's physical or mental impairment affect one or more major life activities? And that's where you have this non, we have this non-exhaustive list of physical or mental impairments. And when I say non-exhaustive, I mean it is, it can be anything. Um, I have a list of things like performing manual tasks, seeing, hearing, eating, sleeping, walking, standing, lifting, bending, speaking, breathing, learning, reading, concentrating, and it goes on and on and on and on. And even what's not on my list could be something that they're struggling with in the classroom. So if, if it's considered a major life activity, then we say, yes, that is number. Uh, answer to number two question number two is yes answer to question number three or one is yes and then number three does the student's physical or mental impairment substantially limit major life activities well when we're talking about school I would consider school as a major life activity and so then that third question is yes and then we as a committee would say well do we all agree that this student should qualify for 504 services and the committee says yes absolutely and then that student that is then eligible for 504 services and accommodations.
1: And then, do you use that data to drive the accommodations? And that is
3: also a committee decision too, as well. Absolutely. Um, we we look at all the things. So one of the things that um, I've seen happen is parents might come in with a whole list of things that they say. Here's my list. Here's what I want my student to have. And that's that's not what it. That's not the way it works. It is a committee-based decision. We have to do it as a committee. And, you know, the the parent may say, well, I want my student to have, you know, triple extra time to do all assignments. And we can take that into consideration. We can look and go, okay, well, let's see how the, the student has done in the past. And the teacher has brought the data to the table saying, no, they don't actually need that extra time. They're actually an early finisher. Uh, so we, w- we can give them, you know, maybe time and a half just in case they slow down, but the data has to back up the accommodations.
2: Okay, That makes sense. Yeah. I can see parents yeah. coming in and requesting a lot of things that are not quote unquote reasonable in the school's yeah. eye.
3: Yes, exactly. We're not giving, uh, you know, a, a, a common misconception is that we're giving, 504 gives that student a leg up and mm-hmm. that they should get better grades and it all should be better and they should be excelling. And that's not the case. We're, we're leveling the playing field. We're, we're making the accommodations available so they can access the curriculum as right. equal as their non-disabled.
1: I was going to say, because we have had parents where we've had to talk them through the process of, you know, right now, there really aren't any academic struggles, right? They're making good grades. They're getting their work done. You know, there's nothing for the school to say that there's kind of that quote-unquote academic need. They're they're not, it's not impairing a major life activity of learning. Yeah. But the question I do have is we do have some though that are spending an inordinate amount of time at home working on assignments. And so while it may not be impacting their performance in the classroom per se, it is affecting their life outside of school. Mm -hmm. So by reducing the amount of homework or give whatever, whatever the accommodation might be, It would help improve their life outside of school. Is that something you guys take into consideration as well? Absolutely.
3: And we have many students that are, they're getting all A's. They're very smart children. They, um, it's, you can't say you can't have a 504 because they're getting good grades. That has nothing to do with it.
2: Thank you very much. Say that again for the people in the back.
3: (laughs) Just because a student is smart or getting good grades does not mean that they are excluded from the 504 services and accommodations. We Those kids might struggle silently. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, they might be home doing all the homework and, and working so hard. Um, something else I see often at school is that kids struggle. So, they, they try so hard. They do so well keeping it together at school. Um, if it's mm-hmm. dyslexia, if it's ADHD, they are doing their best job to be the best student they possibly can. And they get home and they completely fall apart because they're exhausted from all of the the work that they've had to do to keep it together, to to mask their ADHD or anxiety or dyslexia or whatever. They're trying twice as hard sometimes as the non-disabled peer to keep it together. So those are the kids we look out for and we take that information from the parents. You know, we may not see it in the classroom, um, but the parents may come to us and say, my kid gets home and is a mess. My kid gets home and does not want to do homework. They absolutely are tired. They go and take a nap for three hours. But whatever the case may be, we have to look at that as a big picture mm-hmm. when we're deciding if a student is um, eligible for 504. That's huge.
1: We've had we've had parents come back and say that the school has said no because they're doing well in school. And we're like, mm-hmm. but that's not that's not everything,
2: right? No, and it's, it's just, not. you know,
3: it's unfortunate,
1: that but
2: educational need piece is yes. And, and
3: I would say the best thing a parent can do is educate them themselves before going into a 504 uh, for, um, evaluation or for before requesting a 504 evaluation, educate yourself on what your student can receive and should receive. Based on what they have going on at home, going on at school, um, all the evidence, any of the testing that that you guys may do, um, your services that you provide. So, I um, it breaks my heart when I know that some kids are being denied something that they should absolutely receive.
2: Mm-hmm. I know. So with the five hundred four, so when you you have, you do the evaluation, you meet. As a committee, you evaluate all of the data, whether it be all formal or informal. You decide if the student is eligible. If everyone agrees the student is eligible for Section 504 services, then yes. what happens next? Like, I'm kind of thinking of, you know, a lot of parents are very quick to assume if they ask for special help for their child or they, you know, divulge that their child has a disability. Um, they're afraid that they will be stigmatized and labeled or pulled out of class or things like that. So what, how does, what happens with the 504 process kind of, you know, after you guys have sat there and determined, yes, they're eligible for 504 services.
3: So from the point of being eligible, then you would move into what does the student need? So then we would write the accommodations, um, or the services that they, so for dyslexia, they may receive, um, interventions like dyslexia interventions. Um, they, if they are ADHD, they may, we're going to write the accommodations that are based on their needs. Again, this is a, not a one size fits all. We don't look at a list and go, Oh, well you have ADHD. So here's the list of accommodations that you're going to receive. That's not how it works. It's very individually based. Um, And again, with the data and input from all the committee members, we're going to write those accommodations to fit that student. Mm -hmm. And additionally, it's not a, uh, so let's say we put this great list of accommodations in place and we give it a chance to work in the classroom. Um, Six months down the road, they may not be working. Um, They may not be uh, sufficiently providing that equal access that we're trying to get. And so at that time, the teacher can call another 504 meeting. The parent can call another 504 meeting at any time um, to reevaluate those evalu- or, uh, the accommodations to figure out what, what are we doing right and what are we doing that we need to do better. Um, oh, and, and as far as the stigma, it, it really, I don't know. I, I feel like in this day and age, it's not, it's not there. Right. And when parents ask me, um, you know, should I do this? Because what if it goes on their permanent record? Well, yes, it's going to go on their permanent record, but it's a notation. It's not a, a bad, you know, red X as they move through the family. grades. Right. It's, it can only benefit a student. Um, and it, it really, it's it lasts from the cradle to the grave. It's one of those great things that travels and moves with the student um, based on their needs. Mm-hmm. And so I've seen plans start in the early grades with full of accommodations, you know, basically, I don't know, 30 to 40 accommodations for that student. But as they move through the grades, they start to have less and less because they are figuring out, they're gathering the tools that they may need to be successful in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And so, I I mean, I've even seen um, a student go to middle school with nothing in their plan, no accommodations. And the parent's like, well, we should go ahead and get rid of it. And I am I always um, advise them to not get rid of it because it's going to provide that protection from discrimination. That's mm-hmm. the ultimate goal of 504 is to provide protection from discrimination. And as far as education, provide that equal access.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm curious as to as a 504 coordinator, how do you deal with teachers that are either inconsistent or hesitant? To give those accommodations, um, which we hear that a lot, where the teacher doesn't believe in it or they forget, how do you deal with that as the coordinator? Mm-hmm. Or
2: they don't. Um, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I just was at chiming in or the, the teacher may feel like the student doesn't really need it, the accommodation.
3: Yes. And and I've seen it and it's, um, it's frustrating as a coordinator and it has to be extremely, frustrating as a parent, this is a federally backed plan. It has to be followed because the law says you have to follow it. And again, back to parent education, like as a parent, knowing that this has to be followed lawfully, um, it, it's helpful. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I don't advise parents to go in, you know, blazing guns and being like, I need this and you're not doing it. We all want to work together. And I always say that we're a team. We're, we're a team of parents and administrators and 504 coordinators. We're trying to do the best for your child. Um, but I, um, I think my advice would be for the teacher or I'm sorry, the parent to ask for a meeting with the teacher. And I, am not saying 504 meeting. I say conference first Mm -hmm. and approach that teacher with the the lens that yes, they, we know they have a lot going on, but when you're walking in that meeting as a parent, the most important thing in the world is your, is your child Mm -hmm. and, and keep that lens, you know, fight for, be an advocate for your child, do what you need to do for your child. Start with the teacher If you don't get anywhere with the teacher, then yes, go above the teacher and go to the administrator or go to the 504 coordinator and say, I'd like to call a meeting because I feel like the accommodations are not being implemented as they should in the classroom. And then be willing to be collaborative to figure out what is going to work best. Because sometimes we write plans, we write accommodations that don't apply and they don't work. Um, One of my favorite examples is as as a timer um, for a, a student with ADHD. So we said, you know, they're really struggling to get their work out, They're really struggling to get started. So we're going to put a timer in place. Cause that's, you know, something I've read about. You've probably read about it. Parents have read about it. Oh, it's going to be great. We put the timer in pla- in place for the student, and it caused so much anxiety for the student that the ADHD wasn't the problem anymore. And it became anxiety for that yeah. clock that was ticking in their face. <laughs> so, um, it's just, it's a matter of trial and error. We give it a try, we modify or we, we change the plan as needed, um, but it's going to suit that student. It's it's definitely tailored for the each individual
2: student. And then, so you, you, of course, you've mentioned that it is a legal document. It's, you know, teachers by law have to implement those accommodations. So yes. I, I do think that that is an important takeaway for parents to remember that, you know, once this document is created in black and white in writing, the teachers are required by law to implement any accommodations that are in a, a student's 504 plan. And then I love that you pointed out that it could change based on their needs. So mm-hmm. I, I do think that's important for everyone to realize that every year, are you require, required to meet at least once a year on each student that gets a 504 plan? yes
3: that um, it's an annual review and um, we it's once a year and then every three years we do a re-evaluation and as for as far as 504 is concerned that just means we're going to open the folder we're going to review the data again make sure that everything looks good um, oftentimes you know by year three students may have another diagnosis you know ADhD and anxiety often go hand in hand um, dyslexia and ADHD often go hand in hand, so sometimes we do add in more impairments. Um, but yes, it's a, a annual re, a annual evaluation, or I'm sorry, an annual meeting to just kind of review the accommodations, and then a triannual um, reevaluation. So,
1: when a student graduates high school, yes, their 504 plan go with their transcript to their college.
3: Yes and no. Okay. So it goes, it goes with them and that student has a 504. It does make it easier. Um, so, so any school, if you transfer from one school to the next, that school is going to take the information and say, yes, we realize you have a 504. We're going to implement the accommodations that you had in place previously until they have their own meeting in which they would look at the accommodations and apply them to the situations and the data that they had. Um, same thing with college. So they're going to go to college. The student, hopefully by then is starting, well, they should be advocating for themselves by then. Mm. Um, and they will go and they will request a 504 meeting at, at, at which time they will look at the accommodations and see how they will apply to their college courses.
1: Now, but it's so, not called 504 in college typically, right?
3: It is. It still is called 504. Okay. okay. And I'm, I'm actually speaking from experience here. I have a um, high school student who's doing dual, my own child, who's yep. doing dual credit college classes. And uh, she actually had to take her 504 plan that was written um, from her school to the college advisor and have that meeting on her own. They didn't want anything to do with me as a parent oh, in college. Man. So that, that was a hard step. Parents, if you're listening right now, it's a hard step to take ba- you know, take that step back and let your child do it on their own. But it, it was, it was great. And it was very, um, I don't know. It was, she felt independent and, and strong in that moment. Um, and that's, that's something else that I will say is that you as a parent can help your student by helping them advocate for themselves. Um, it's a little bit harder in the younger grades, but as they get older, they can, they, they should be aware of what their 504 plan has. Um, and when you determine that's a good time to talk to them about it, or if they, um, you know, whatever diagnosis they have and the supports that they can receive to talk to them about it. So when, they are not getting extra time in let's say fifth grade on something that they need extra time on. They can raise their hand and say, um, I'm supposed to have a little bit extra time on this so they can, um, feel comfortable in their accommodations. I suppose.
2: Yeah.
3: Is there an age where the
1: student starts coming to their annual 504 meeting? I mean, are they always invited or is there an age where they're
3: required to come? Um, there's, there's nothing set in stone. There's nothing written okay. that okay. says, but, um, I, I would say whenever your student feels more comfortable about it. So in the early grades, they may come and just sit and, you know, we'll ask as a coordinator, I'll ask them a few questions about how things are going and try to get some information from them. Um, Third grade, I think is probably pretty early. Fourth grade. Yes. Come on in fifth grade. Absolutely. Because by middle school um, you should be invited. The student should be invited to the meeting um, and beyond.
2: Right. And give some input as far as if something's working for them or not working.
3: Absolutely. And and again, um, my own child in uh, sixth or seventh grade, um, she has dyslexia. And so she did not want that test read to her anymore. So she had oral administration and she had no problem reading it. And I'm like, I tried to explain to her, but your brain reacts differently when you hear it and see it at the same time. And she's like, mom, I don't want that anymore.
2: <laughs> right. Okay. So Did you have they to listen to?
3: right. Yep. Yep. And, and the data wasn't supporting it. You know, the, the teacher was like, yeah, I haven't read it to her. And I'm like, well, then I guess we have to take it out
2: Doing because well,
3: it again. was not being implemented in the classroom because she didn't want it. Um, so it goes both ways. You know, the, right. the parents can say, I want this. And the student can say, I do not want this. So it is, it's a collaborative, um, it's actually a wonderful process to help these kids. Do you
1: help, um, the, the whole process of getting accommodations on the SAT or ACT? Is that something that you do or, or are the parents doing it independently?
3: The the parents generally have to apply for, it, I believe. I I'm not as familiar with that, um, stage of the game, but I believe it, I've had some requests for students that were applying for private school. And I know that the the parent had to fill out the form and then they brought it to me as the coordinator for um, this, you know, the official, like here's the official word from the school that yes, the student does have a 504 plan that includes extra time or oral administration or et cetera.
2: Mm -hmm. Right. That makes sense. I'm curious, like, with your daughter or, you know, other high schoolers when they go to college, if they're taking that 504, their most recent 504 plan, you know, could there be accommodations on that plan that don't really align with, you know, the college setting or the college classroom or um I'm just wondering, you know, did she have to lose accommodations when she transferred to college? Did they just implement (coughs) everything that was in that current plan or ask Um, her what exactly she needed?
3: Yes, they they definitely changed it um, even beyond what I would have wanted. But again, I'm the parent. I'm not the student sitting there in the classroom. Mm
2: -hmm. So,
3: yes, they it became um, a lot less. But again, it was still applying to what she needed. Um, oh, good. She did have an instance where she received a grade on a paper um, before she was finished with it, and so it was an online assignment. And they, the teacher, graded it before it was finished. And she said, "But mom, I didn't get my extra time." And I said, "Okay, so how are you going to handle that?" So she emailed the teacher and said, um, "I'd like to request to use my extra time that is listed in my 504 plan." and the teacher opened the assignment back up and she ended up you know finishing the assignment for a better grade. So um wait what was your original question? Oh yes well, was it was the plan it, they alter. don't have to yeah. take. Yeah.
2: Can they, they do not have to take everything is, as
3: it's written. Yeah, they, and they and generally they won't because mm-hmm. um again it applies to whatever school and whatever committee is convened at the time. So
2: mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. That but makes as sense. a Mm-hmm. And it's, again,
2: heard it's heard that environment. Yeah. that classroom. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And the, the, the part where the parents aren't involved in college necessarily is that was different. Opening.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. So we do actually we, we get a lot of students that, that come to us like towards the end of their senior year or they've already graduated and they've started college and maybe they didn't automatically apply for accommodations at, at their college or university. And they they do have a 504 plan from when they were in school, but they hadn't had a, an evaluation. For, for example, I'm thinking the most common one is individuals with dyslexia. A yes. lot of... Um, college age dyslexics, I guess per se, were diagnosed originally when they were like in first or second or third or fourth grade. So their formal evaluation that shows they have dyslexia is from first, second, third, fourth grade or whatever. And so we get a lot of them calling, saying the school is requiring them to show a current evaluation. So they can't just always hand over that 504 plan I guess maybe it's based on the type of disability that they're trying to get by and the, the school services and the school. Yeah. yeah maybe and I, um, from school to school. my,
3: my experience is with my own child and mm-hmm. her evaluation was done in fourth grade. So that would have been beyond the three years and the college that she's at, um, took the evaluation as it was written. So oh, great. I, I, I find that I, it's uh, actually frustrating to me that mm-hmm. you would have to go back and get another. A lot of parents
1: I,
2: find it
3: frustrating.
1: Just, yeah, because she's
3: doing dual credit.
1: When she actually goes to, it'd be something look, to look into for when she does yeah. graduate, though, because it may be different because under dual credit, it's still under the high school. Whereas once she's graduated, in, a full-time university student, they may look at that differently too. That's something interesting to look into. That is interesting. Yeah. Yeah.
3: But, but again, it's, um, you don't get cured from ADHD. You don't get cured from dyslexia. I mean,
1: different. I mean, her dyslexia looks different now than it did then. And that's what the college wants to see, I think.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. But that's what I think parents find frustrating about it is it doesn't go away. Right? We know dyslexia doesn't ever go away. Why does she have to go through this evaluation process? Why do we have to spend money, you know, on an evaluation? Yeah.
3: I mean, maybe maybe the colleges need to be better educated. Yeah. Maybe
2: it is (laughs) just getting dependent on whoever's running that disability services program at each and every college or university. Yes.
3: Yes. Because yes, I mean, my my child has gained the tools. So it's not even obvious absolutely not obvious that she has right. dyslexia. Uh-huh.
2: She's
3: she's doing great. She's getting great grades, but she still has dyslexia,
2: right? She Good thinks right. differently. Uh-huh. Are there any,
1: when you have that initial meeting with parents, are there any misconceptions that you find parents tend to come with, or there's some common myths about five Oh four?
3: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, I think the biggest one is that they think that this 504 plan is going to maximize their students' potential. And I would agree as we've already talked about, it's, it's leveling the playing field. We're just giving them equal access.
2: Um, We're not trying to make them get A's. (laughs) Yep.
3: That's right. Uh, I've heard, you know, another one is um, that they have to have a medical diagnosis and they do not. Um, As we talked about, you can, um, look at all the data pieces. I can receive a, a plan or a, a, report from an educational di- diagnostician. I can receive something from a doctor or we as a committee can sit down and go, yes, I see signs of, um, ADHD in the classroom as it applies to their classroom behavior and their classroom performance. And so we could do that. Um, oh, my, one I love is that, um, they receive a report from an educational diagnostician or a physician saying that these are the accommodations that they should receive. And so the parents hand us that and say, here's their list. It's a mm-hmm. prescription. And, and again, that's not how that works. Um, we as a, as a committee decide on those accommodations um,
2: that's, that's a good point. Those were just recommendations yes. that were in an evaluation report, not the end yep. all, be all. Not what the school has to provide. Yeah, I correct.
3: Think. Yes, and then what
2: else? Do um, you have any
3: parents that are
1: that are confused whether it's a you know between special education and 504? They don't understand the difference, or they think they're getting into special education when they're actually
3: just getting 504 support. Absolutely. Um, All the time. And and it it is, it's confusing. What's the difference? So um, 504, again, we're providing equal access. Special ed is more um, above and beyond what we can provide in 504. Um, They're, they're very different, but they provide. So, so if you have a special ed, special education, IEP, individual education plan, you're still protected under 504, but you can do a lot of different things, um, like give modifications to assignments, Um, your expectations. So if you have a fifth grader who can only read on a first grade level, um, you're going to lower those expectations to get that first grade level reading on a fifth grade level. You're, you're going to back down in the curriculum or back down in the expectations or, um, things that you're teaching them to try to get them their their base so they can read or whatever. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Well, um, so 504
3: is just just
1: helping them level the playing field at
3: their current grade level. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, in Interestingly enough, 504, as we talked about earlier, is a civil rights law. Um, special education is an educational law. Right. So 504, we make it apply to education, but it was originally, originally a civil rights law.
2: Right. Um, 504... Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, which is why um, even beyond college in the workplace, you can receive 504 accommodations. Um, yeah. So I think that that's, you know, one of the really big positives about 504, section 504 being a civil law, rather than yes. under an educational law that ends when they age out of the educational system. Absolutely. As I said earlier,
3: it's a cradle to the grave. So mm-hmm. as long as you are with an institution or an educational um, place that takes at least one cent of federal funding, then you can have a 504 plan um, that needs to be followed, as mm-hmm. the law says. So, That's awesome. So, that is
2: awesome.
3: Yeah, This has been is. so incredibly
2: it's
1: helpful. So yeah, it's so good to, hard hard to, hard to, hard to hard hear hard. it from somebody on the inside.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it really is. And we do. I mean, we get confused. We get a lot of parents and um, older students that are very confused about what you is five hundred four. They'll say, "I I I have an IEP and a five hundred four plan," or "Yes, I'm in special education and my five hundred four plan says this," or "No, I'm not in special education, but I have an IEP and it affords." Yeah, me they myself.
1: really get confused. But I feel like too, not just between that, but also just what exactly is it. And how is it designed to help my student? Mm-hmm. And yeah. that, like we talked about, it's not about making them a 4-0 student. It's about helping level the playing field so that they have equal access. And I think that is what's yes. incredibly important to understand.
3: Equal yes, access. Yes, absolutely. Um, there is a resource that I would like um, to share that sure. anyone can access. And it's, um, it's called the Parents and Educator Resource Guide to Section 504. Do you
1: have a link for that you could send us and we can just put it in the show notes? I do. Um, you can
3: Google it also, but okay. So it's called the Parent and Educator Resource Guide to Section 504 in Public Elementary and Secondary Schools. Okay. Um, we'll put a link to that it, in the
1: show notes so people can access that.
3: Okay. It's yeah. from the U- U.S. Department of Education Office for Civil Rights. So That is it awesome. Is, Thank you. It's, uh, it's written pretty well too, so it's not so wordy and legally-, legally.
1: Yeah, oh, okay. legal
3: jargon that, that I don't understand sometimes. So I, okay. I actually I refer to it myself just to make sure that I'm keeping myself in compliance. That's awesome. Well, yeah. thank
1: you. Thank you for taking time out of your summer to join us and, and share all this. You're a wealth of
3: information. We really appreciate you. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, please, parents, go out and, and advocate for your students. It, it's the best you can do for them.
2: Absolutely. Thank well,
3: guys, so if much. you have any questions about
1: this episode, or questions about, or suggestions about future episodes, please do not hesitate to email us at letstalklearningdisabilities at gmail dot com. You can also visit our website.
2: Our podcast website is at www.ltldpodcast.com. You can go to their, that website and look at a list of all the different 70 episodes we have recorded thus far. You can even um, sort by category and click on the button that says dysgraphia or ADHD and all episodes pertaining to that topic will come up. You guys have a great day. Thanks, Suzette. Have
1: a great rest of your day. Thanks, Thank everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. In our show notes, you can find information about today's talk, as well as links to resources and other episodes. If you have questions about today's talk, have ideas for future episodes, or just want to stay connected, you can contact us through Diagnostic Learning Services on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. So let's keep talking learning disabilities. This podcast is sponsored by eDiagnostic Learning. You can find more information at www.ediagnosticlearning.com.